Welcome to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about how to combat the pro-abortion crowd. We'll talk about how the establishment GOP better wake up or be left behind. We'll talk the communist media's continued assault on the police. And we'll finish up by talking about what is really happening with those food manufacturing plant fires. Next, on Living with Liberty. that those screaming the loudest about the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade, and that's what it is at this point, it is the potential overturning, I find it funny that they are also the same people who fall into the camp of hating the patriarchy. They're the ones who repeatedly tell us that men should have no say over what a woman can or cannot do with her body. You really want to see their heads explode? Tell them Roe v. Wade was decided by an all-male court. The patriarchy gave women the ability to terminate their pregnancy. The stuttering and sputtering will ensue immediately after. Ask them if they are against the patriarchy, how can they defend Roe, since after all it was a bunch of men telling a woman what she can do with her body. Those men bestowed upon women permission to kill their babies, ensuring the patriarchy continued on. More screaming will ensue, and you can bet on getting called uh, some sort of name or two. They'll probably go into a phase of just mindlessly screaming something over and over at you until someone else comes along, hits Control-Alt-Delete, and inserts the chip for supporting the next current thing into their memory bank. If you are on Facebook, head over to the Living with Liberty show page and give it a like. If you have any feedback or want to ask a question, please email me, ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. I'll read the feedback or question on the show. Finally, I have one more ask. If you could, hit the subscribe button wherever you are catching the show, whether it be Rumble, YouTube, or any of the various uh, audio-only platforms. And if that platform does allow for reviews, please give us a five-star review. It helps others find the show. Now, the Republican establishment better take note of what is going on around them and get on board if they have any hopes of retaining their influence within the party. People are fed up with the political nonsense and are voting in change. 
The Democrats have an even worse time of it as they have ventured so far into the socialist waters. They are caught in a rip current that is just dragging them out to sea at this point. And it's given the Republicans an golden opportunity for a once-in-a-generation shift in the course of politics in this country. If the establishment wants to be around to see and influence it, they better get on board with what the people want real quick. Now, what brings us up? Uh, We had primaries last week. There's a few that happened this week. Several Trump-endorsed candidates won. Anti-establishment types. J.D. Vance is probably one of the bigger profile uh, winners of the primary, and he had one of the bigger wins in the state primaries that were held. The establishment did all they could to try and take him out. They wanted to prevent him from winning because he represents a threat to their power. He represents an upsetting of the elitist hierarchy that, yes, is even uh, even uh, visible and in full force in the Republican Party. Now, according to an Axios report, the Republican establishment regarded Vance with the same disgust as Trump. Senate Minority Whip John Thune looked forward to reading of the coverage of Vance's loss. What Vance and other Trump-endorsed outsider candidates represent is a challenge to that establishment power. They represent a change. They represent actually coming in and doing something for we the people. They actually come in and represent a a willingness to do the people's will, not the political will, not what the party says, not what foreign countries say. Vance and other Trump-endorsed anti-establishment candidates represent the people, and they hate that, even in the Republican Party. Remember, we have a uniparty. It doesn't matter which one it is. They're both wanting to hold on to their power. That's what this is about. That's why they hate the J.D. Vances. That's why they hate the Trump-endorsed candidates, because they know if they get in, their power's gone. If they get in, all a lot of the corruption goes by the wayside. It gets exposed. Changes happen. People, once again, regain their government. That's that's what this represents. We we do have classes in this company in in this country. You have the elite political class, and you have their corporate and, and rich enablers, and then you have the rest of us. So it's not necessarily a a lower, middle, upper class struggle that we have here. We have a power struggle. We have power classes. J.D. Vance represents the people and, and represents the people more than anybody who is in power within the party today, within the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. The anti-establishment candidates aren't beholden to corporate donors. Actually, the corporate donors kind of shy away from them for the most part, depending on, uh, the call it the politics or what the CEOs of these companies want to see. Your big corporate donors want to see the establishment because they're buddy-buddy with the establishment. 
But candidates like J.D. Vance aren't interested in plain politics. They want to get things done that return America to the exceptional beacon of liberty it has been over the course of its history. They want to return the power to the people. The anti-establishment candidates understand that we do have a uniparty. They, like we the people do, see that both parties are in it for their own power, their own gain, for the political favors abroad, and that they couldn't care less about the people. The anti-establishment candidates see that we must return the government to the people and break the hold of the political parties. Now, Madison warned us against this type of factionalism in Federalist 10. The founders understood their history. They knew their history. Can't say the same for us today, but they knew their history, and they know or knew how political parties ripped apart Great Britain during the 17th century through various civil wars. They wanted to avoid that here. And they specifically did not call out political parties in the Constitution for that very reason. They wanted to avoid this type of factionalism that we see today. Now, natural tendencies of people, what they are, political parties were formed because apparently that's the only way we can organize. And as we've gone throughout history, uh, because honestly, like I've said before, you talk to your neighbors, you agree on most of the issues. There's, there's not much differentiation between the two parties. There really isn't when it comes down to the issues. And I'm talking about the moderates, not the, the far wings of either party. I'm talking about the moderates. But the moderates, are, but the moderates aren't the ones that get pandered to by the political parties. It's the extremes. Because that's where the power is, because you get a loud minority, the, the jobless class, if you will, that they're professional protesters. They just, they have time to go out and do this while the rest of us are working. Parties get hijacked. The founding fathers understood that factionalism was bad. It's, it's, uh, that's why Federalist 10 was written. Alexander Hamilton once called political parties the most fatal disease of popular governments. Accurate. We have, yes, our government is infected. It's infected with Democrats and Republicans and party over people, ideology. Alexander Hamilton, wise beyond his years. And James Madison wrote in Federalist 10 that one of the functions of a well-constructed union should be its tendency to break and control the violence of faction. They feared factionalism would tear the country apart. And well, here we are. We have two parties whose only interest is in maintaining their hold on power, which, oh, by the way, comes at the expense of we the people. I believe that the anti-establishment candidates understand this. They understand their history. They understand that we've gotten to a point within our political class that it is party over people, it is party over the, their bosses. We are their bosses. We forget to remind them of that. Not all of them, but you look at the party as a whole, at the end of the day, they all fall in line. How many party line votes do we see? A lot. They don't break with party. We, we we're stuck in this endless loop of factionalism. Now, maybe it was a 
oversight that the founders didn't put in the Constitution to fully avoid it, to say they're all offices will be nonpartisan. We're not going to have political parties here. Now, people being what they were, I'm sure we'd get around that somehow. <laughs> we always do, right? <laughs> Look at Roe v. Wade. We've gotten around the fact that abortion is not a, a constitutional right. We've gotten around that fact for 50 years. It just takes activists, judges, and, and whatnot. But what if they did put something in the Constitution that said, no, all our offices are nonpartisan. We should have the best candidate run with the best ideas. Because honestly, again, they're, the ideas between the two parties, at the end of the day, yeah, the Democrats are so far left at this point, it's ridiculous. But again, come back to where everybody else, the majority of people are, the ideas aren't all that different. We want safe streets. We want a good economy. We want good education for our kids. Both sides want that. The arguments come in on how to accomplish that. One side wants to spend a ton of money to do it. The other side doesn't. That That is, I'm oversimplifying there, yes, but in its essence, that's what we're looking at here. But yet we have ended up with these factions, and now we've got factions within our factions. You've got the the Trump Republicans, you've got the Patriots, you've got the Socialists and the Democrat Party, you've got, you know, the Blue Dog, or whatever they're called, what Manchin was at the Blue Dog Democrats that are still centrist and still willing to work across the aisle. We've got factions within our factions. It's made a mess out of everything. But our anti-establishment candidates understand this. They understand where we are as a country, and that we need to get back to a government by the people, for the people. And that, uh, that, that mindset threatens the power of the establishment of both parties. Now, the weakness and fecklessness of establishment Republicans, the fight that some of them put up against Trump is on full display. It's always on full display. I mean, we're just, we just, what, passed a bill in the House to send $40 billion to Ukraine. Ukraine is, why, right? And, and tons of Republicans signed on to that. Tons of them. I, I, I think it was, it was a vast majority. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. A vast majority. And that's just the weakness and fecklessness of the establishment Republicans voting that in. Just marching our people off to war, our soldiers off to war, handing our treasure out all over the planet when we've got our own problems at home. Anti-establishment uh, candidates understand that we have to take care of the home front first, and that threatens them. It threatens their little laundromats across the globe. That's what it does. We see it. We see the fight. We see their fecklessness. It's on full display for us. And we, the people, have taken notice and are standing up to take our country back. We see that our treasure is being sent to foreign lands for no good reason. We see our, uh, our soldiers being sent to wars that are not ours. We see the money being pumped into the indoctrination facilities, posing as schools. The anti-establishment candidates have exposed the establishment as being just as elitist 
and just as against the people as those on the left. That is why they fight so hard, those being the establishment. That's why the establishment fights so hard against the Trump-endorsed candidates. They are desperate to hold on to their slipping power and try to make it seem as though they've been the ones fighting for us all along when in actuality they have been just as complicit in eroding our freedoms and liberties and causing inflation as those in the Democrat Party. So hopefully these, these wins keep piling up for these anti-establishment candidates. And hopefully they win their general elections. And we start moving our country back to one that is for the people, by the people. And we get these career corruptocrats out of office. Now, the left just won't stop their assault on police. I have a Reuters special report here titled, U.S. Police Trainers with Far-Right Ties Are Teaching Hundreds of Cops. So I suppose that there will be a special report then of trainers with far left ties teaching our children forthcoming from Reuters, correct? We should expect that. Let's be fair, right? Yeah, we know the answer to that. Anyway, this Reuters special report is a hit piece on a few private police trainers and their social media posts and a couple people they talked to that went through their classes and is driven towards the larger implication that police officers are being indoctrinated by far-right ideology. Now some, it says in the report, some have echoed QAnon conspiracies, while one in particular they investigated was a member of an extremist group and supported other far-right movements. Now, This extremist group they're talking about is the Oath Keepers, and the particular person was a member of it five, six years ago. Okay, so we're we're in the river, we're dredging up the sludge at the bottom of the river six years ago. That, that, That right there should tell you everything you need to know about this story. But I'll tell you a little more anyway, just so you get the full flavor. Now, the story itself centers around Richard Whitehead, who owns a private business that trains police officers, and he's in Idaho. There's four or five others that the story references and makes note of. They're all around the country. Um, But this one owned by Richard Whitehead is the one that uh, the story seems to center on. Now, there's many of these types of police training academies around the country, and actually, it's their private enterprises. Departments send their officers to them because these private practices train officers far more effectively and efficiently than the departments ever could. They, they, it's cheaper for these departments to send their officers to these private academies versus them uh, trying to do the training themselves. Now, here's what the article had to say about Whitehead. It says this. Whitehead is part of a trend in pushing radical right Uh, political agendas to American police forces. (laughs) Okay, stop laughing for a second. Um, He's one of five police trainers identified by Reuters whose political commentary on social media has echoed extremist opinions or who have public ties to far-right figures. All right. You know who they're talking about here, public ties to far-right figures? Okay, Joe Biggs is one. 
that um, one that's noted in the story and the person that uh, was tied to him has cut all ties with him, doesn't consider him a friend, anything like that. And they also mentioned Sheriff David Clark. Okay, I tell you what, Milwaukee County could use Sheriff David Clark again. Nobody was messing around in Milwaukee County when David Clark was sheriff. So if, if that's a far right figure where uh, crime is 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 down, then sign me up. I mean, come on. All right, so we'll get into this even a little more here, but I'm betting you can already guess that this article, I use that term loosely, article, is going to be high on hyperbole and propaganda and low on facts. So what is this commentary? And I already kind of alluded to the far-right figures, but here's what the article says about the commentary and far-right figures. It says this, The five trainers have aired views, including the belief in a vote-rigging conspiracy to unseat Trump in the 2020 election. One trainer attended Trump's January 6, 2021 rally at the Capitol that devolved into a riot injuring more than 100 police officers. Two of the trainers have falsely asserted that prominent Democrats, including President Joe Biden, are pedophiles, a core tenant of the QAnon conspiracy theory. All right. So a trainer attended the January 6th rally. Well within their right, correct? First Amendment says we, uh, we get to uh, the freedom to assemble. We have the right to assemble peacefully. Now, did this trainer enter the Capitol? Obviously not, or that would have been highlighted repeatedly in this story, right? They would have made mention that that trainer is still sitting in jail, still a political prisoner of the United States because they walked into the Capitol. But they didn't. So why even bring it up? So a trainer attended that. Big deal. Lots of people attended that rally. Big deal. So that you... You're saying because they're a police trainer, they can't, they don't have the right to to uh, uh, the freedom of assembly in any way, shape, or manner they see fit. The trainers aired their beliefs on social media. Okay, they're again exercising First Amendment rights. They have that right to opinion. They have the right to freedom of speech, just like Reuters has freedom of the press to print crap like this. So what's the problem exactly? So these clown show writers act like people aren't going to have opinions and that they're not good and, and that they work so they can't have opinions. That's what they're implying here. You you are training police officers so you don't get to have an opinion. Well, what? See, this is what the left wants. Total control. They, they don't have the narrative, so they make crap up or they write hit pieces like this. To, to make it seem, to continue the narrative that, oh, the police are so far right, we need to get rid of them. That is what we're seeing here. That's what's being implied. You can't, if you work, you can't have an opinion. If you work in, a, say, in a, a certain sector, you can't have an opinion. Maybe that type of thinking should be applied in the classroom then, where it would be more appropriate, Yeah. Maybe this type of thinking of where you keep your opinions outside of your job. Keep it outside of your job. I don't care. Teachers have opinions. Great. Don't bring it in the classroom and indoctrinate our kids. So already we've got a double standard in this article. 
Now, the core tenet of QAnon conspiracy theory, Joe Biden and other prominent Democrats are pedophiles. Okay. We have Biden on tape sniffing children. We have Biden on tape saying how they like to play with his hairy legs in the pool. So it's not exactly a stretch. Has he been convicted of anything? No, that's not what I'm saying. But the signs are there, right? I mean, Epstein Island, anyone? It's not exactly a conspiracy theory. It's not a stretch. We have someone in jail that was part of the the Epstein Island whole uh, uh, issue here. It's not a conspiracy theory. We have these, we have Biden on tape sniffing kids creepily. We have Epstein's Island where it's been confirmed Ghislaine Maxwell's in jail for bringing underage girls to him. Now, to be fair, there needs to be some hard evidence to put to, against some of the other names that are out there being classified as pedophiles. I don't disagree with that, but we have a pattern of behavior. To be clear, Joe Biden hasn't been, been convicted of anything related to pedophilia. Okay, so don't do, take the anger meter down a, a few notches here not saying he's been convicted. I'm saying the pattern of behavior is there. It's not exactly a stretch to say that eh, he might be. Remember, Biden's and his whole family are the most protected class in America anyway. So that would informational if it's there. If it's there, I'm not saying it's there, but if it's there, it'll be buried till well after his death. But we have a pattern of behavior out of Biden and confirmation of Epstein's victims. So there's smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. There's. I'm not saying it's it's. It's not a stretch, but they want to make it seem like it's a stretch. I don't agree with QAnon as a whole, but I wouldn't call this part of it a conspiracy theory. We have evidence, and we have. Um, viable proof that there could be something there, but nobody bothers to investigate it though, right? And in the case of Epstein, that's Biden. Nobody bothers to investigate what else is there. But in the case of Epstein, we have absolute testimony and proof and a conviction on that one. Now, we do need to ask a question about all this. And the the question that does need to be asked is do these opinions that these trainers have make their way into the training, into the classroom? Like I said before, these types of opinions should be kept out of the classroom. That goes for teaching kids. Honestly, it goes for training uh, police uh, officers or whoever else, right? Now, this is the official response from the trainers for this article when they were interviewed. So it says this, Whitehead and the other Four trainers also said their beliefs are neither extreme nor far right. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Some of them, I, I'll post the article. Some of them, I'm like, eh, maybe. Um, others, for the most part, no. Uh, some said posts that appeared to urge the overthrow of the U.S. government were intended as humorous or figurative. And they said they keep their politics separate from their training. And that training is focused on officer safety. All right, fair enough. 
do things get posted in jest that were meant to be funny or provoke thought? Absolutely. Again, back to the First Amendment, right? That's that's the whole premise of comedy. It's one to poke fun at our just idiocy. Two, it's can provoke thought. We have to we have to think about things in the context they're in and and what's you know what's going on here. Our our ultra PC world has ruined comedy and sarcasm and truthfully has robbed people of any sort of common sense. What these posts were that appeared to urge or uh, what these yeah what these posts were that appeared to urge the overthrow of the U.S. government is unclear. We don't know what they are. Right, they didn't put it in in the in uh, the article. There's no snapshots of Twitter or Facebook in the article. They couldn't have been then the smoking gun that was going to show these trainers had a plot to overthrow the government because Reuters didn't include them in their special report. The FBI didn't go and hunt these people down. So it couldn't have been that bad, right? If you're not going to include it in the re- in your your report, it can't be that bad then. Also, because the article has no mention of any sort of undercover journalism to verify what goes on in these classes, nor does it appear to have taken a survey of a broad spectrum of respondents who attended these classes, we can only go on the response from the trainers that they keep the classes to the material at hand, focused on police safety training. That's all we can go on at this point. Reuters didn't give us anything in this article to verify their claims that police officers are going to these training facilities to be indoctrinated. None of that in this article at all. Now, does that mean politics never comes into the classroom? Absolutely not. It it does. It it comes up in discussion. I'm sure it comes up in discussion in civics classes, history classes, in school, right? That's fine. It, it comes up. It doesn't mean that because uh, you have uh, these people or these officers in these training classes and the training classes, by all accounts, until Reuters can prove otherwise, the, the training materials free of political uh, rhetoric, It's, you know, it's, it's assumed that the, the students are the ones bringing it up then. Now, you know, it wouldn't be fair to uh, not cover this aspect of well, of, as well, uh, of um, politics being brought up by students in, this, in these classes. So Ryan Morris, Morris of Tripwire, which is one of the training companies that was interviewed and studied, if you will, for this article, this hit piece, noted this. He said... Tripwire instructors are politically neutral when it comes to training. But political views are sometimes expressed in class, he said, because law enforcement, military have certain mindsets. I'll just leave it at that. So that's Ryan Morris of Tripwire. That kind of sounds like people are coming into training with their beliefs and values already solidified, correct? I'm going to go out on a limb here. And say that the short time the trainees spend in the course, in these courses, it's not going to sway their value system nor push them to a fringe ideology, period. These are adults coming in. By and large, you have, especially if you're coming from a military background or a law enforcement background, your value system's already set. 
nobody is going to push it one way or the other for the most part. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but for the most part, it's pretty solidified. It's not going to change just because you have someone in the front of a, uh, a training class saying, uh, trying to push QAnon theories or whatever. People are going to see through it. So like I said, we, the only thing we can go on is what these, um, what, what these trainers say and that they keep the politics out of the, their training. Doesn't mean that people don't bring it in. I'm also going to guess that the law enforcement and military folks have certain mindsets. They come in with certain mindsets because they, uh, of what they have seen over the course of their careers. The fake media wants to continue pressing on with this anti-police narrative. Though they are taking, in this article, a more indirect route to it. They're trying to push the fact that now we have police training academies indoctrinating uh, officers that go back out into the field. That's just not the case. They they provided no proof of this happening at all. They had no undercover, uh, undercover journalists uh, taking any of these classes. They didn't interview a large swath of, of people on what they thought about these classes. They're just taking some surface information, some there are some complaints from a few that have taken the classes that said, oh, yeah, it's political, it's indoctrinating, blah, blah, blah. You'll see that in the article. By and large, there's no proof here. It's, it's an indirect route to furthering this anti-police narrative. They're, they're thinking people aren't going to see through this. But we are, we have, and we will. We just have to be vigilant to, like I said, it's all a, it's all a words game. It's all a, a euphemism game. They just start changing things when we catch on. We have to keep up and we have to get ahead. That's what we're seeing here with this article. It, it's, it's still anti-police. It's to sow seeds of doubt that we have QAnon conspirators and far right-wing activists in our police forces and just to try and create more strife there, and we don't need to have it. We need to call it out, and we need to support our officers, and law enforcement professionals. All right, head over to Living with Liberty Outfitters and pick out something new for yourself and your friends and family. So if you go over to Living with Liberty Outfitters today, uh, what's the 11th today, through the 16th of May, you will get free shipping on your purchase. Show off your patriot pride with some new Living with Liberty gear. Go to livingwithlibertypodcast.com and click on the store link. Okay, finishing up today, about those fires at the food manufacturing facilities. Now, I'm going to start it off like this. I find it disappointing that these are being used by conservative media to drive fear and fuel conspiracy theories. Yes, I said it. Uh, Have there been more issues at food plants than in the past? Quite possibly the data I looked through, I looked through for a long time, actually. The data has been hard to find to measure how many food plant fires specifically there are year to year. You can find a lot of data on industrial fires, overall fires, but I had a hard time finding it broken down just to type of facility. We want just food manufacturing facilities. Couldn't find anything. You go out and look. There are some one-off stories about some of the bigger fires at food manufacturing facilities over the years. And like I said, there is data about how many industrial fires there are year to year. 
but none of the data I was able to find broke it out by industry. It just, it was one aggregate data or it segmented it a little bit, but not like it's chemical and food and, and cars and whatever else. So, so absent that data, let's apply some common sense, some information that I found from the National Fire Protection Association and just what I know and what I've seen having worked in manufacturing facilities for my entire career. Now, Bridget Messerschmidt of the NFPA had this to say about the recent rash of industrial fires, more specifically the food plant manufacturing plant fires. She said this, we had 490,000 structure fires in 2020 in the United States. Food processing plants, like most industrial facilities, are prone to fires. Accurate. Food is fuel, she said, and so as soon as you're operating with food, you have something that is combustible. On top of that, Messerschmitt added, you, have, you may have heat from cooking, high-pressure systems, combustible dust, and other risk factors for fires and explosions present at these facilities. Now, fire needs three things to thrive. Fuel, heat, and oxygen. Over the course of my career, especially when I worked in manufacturing itself, we had to take training on this. We had to take training on combustible dust because, yes, it may sound silly. How is dust going to uh, ignite a fire? It can. Just the, the, the friction, the, the type of compound it is, it can ignite a fire. So we had, we had to do that. We had to take the training on that. So we understood that. We knew what to look for. We knew to identify the risk factors, and, and they always pounded into us. Fuel need, fire needs three things to thrive, fuel, heat, and oxygen. You, have to re you remove one of those, you don't have a fire. There's an, over, uh, uh, an overabundance of each in industrial settings. There, there's, I've worked in, there we have hazardous flammable chemicals, like I said, the dust. Of course, there's oxygen because that's all around us. So you, you look at the equation. You can't take oxygen away always. There, there's some things you can do. Uh, some of the more highly flammable stuff, um, you had like in negative pressure rooms or vacuum rooms, things like that, special rooms that reduce the oxygen because they were just that highly combustible. But there's in an industrial setting, there's just an overabundance of each of the three things needed for a fire. You just have to remove one. So you try and keep the plant as neat as you can. You separate combustibles, etc. Now, I currently work in food. Our plants have fryers in them. Fryer fires are a reality in our industry. They happen. It, luckily, it doesn't burn down the plant, hasn't burned down the plant. We have suppression systems, whatever, to shut it down and make sure it doesn't burn out of control. But, you're, you know, you're dealing with hot, hot oil in these situations. The products going through them leave coatings and other scraps in the oil. Eventually, the buildup can combust, causing a fire. If, you don't, right, if you're a little off on the maintenance of that fryer, yeah, you'll get a fire. This, the buildup just happens, the fire or the oil's hot, you, you, you end up with a fryer fire. Now, of course, you know, we put a focus around preventing the fryer fire, so they aren't a common occurrence, but they still happen. I've worked in factories where we had pressure vessels that were used to manufacture different products. 
like a big giant pressure cooker. Take take your uh, Instapot and magnify it by like a thousand percent. You know, those are the kinds of things. Now we didn't have the nice removable top or anything, but you get the picture. It's a pressure vessel. And if you didn't do things safely and follow the process to the letter on the operation of that equipment, the potential was there for a disastrous result. You'd see it blow up. It could start a fire. There could have been a fire in the tank, in the vessel. These things happen. I've, I've seen conveyors smolder and fires start at electrical panels. Electrical pan, another one, electrical panels run hot. They can overheat. Boom, you got a fire. And then you add to it, add to it, all the shortages that we've had means plants are running 24-7 without downtime for regular maintenance. They're always operating. So you're, you're adding to the risk for things like fires as parts wear out and they start rubbing together and they create a condition for a fire to start, especially conveyors, right? You get the rubber run, rubbing against something, rubber's flammable or whatever the conveyor's made out of if it's not metal, it's flammable. It's some sort of fabric or rubber or something like that. It's flammable. Plastic. Some of them are plastic. So if you're not taking your plant down for regular maintenance, you're running it 24-7, flat out every day because you're trying to make enough product for the market, you're not doing the regular maintenance, and that's where the trouble starts. That's, where, that's how you get these fires. Plants are also running short on people. So there may not be as many checks on equipment that's operating as there might be otherwise if it were uh, the plant were fully staffed or staffed properly. So now you have a piece of equipment that might, be, might have been inspected every hour for issues, gets inspected maybe every two hours now, and maybe every three hours, maybe once a shift, who knows? You end up not inspecting it as, as much as, as you normally would. And you have parts that wear down. You have stuff that starts smoldering. Before you know it, you have a bigger issue. Just because we're not, we don't, or, or plants aren't doing, uh, don't have the ability to do this, this regular maintenance. There, there's no way they can take time down to do regular maintenance because they'll get that much further behind in trying to meet demand. And then, and then uh, I have the whole issue here of the location and the types of plants that have experienced these fires. And this is from National Review. They note this. If you were a terrorist or a foreign agent attempting to choke off the American Food Distribution Network, would you start with an obscure potato chip maker in Oregon, then move on to the source of Hot Pockets in Arkansas? Then move on to the soybean processing tank in Virginia. Are these the right targets if you're trying to cripple America? Honestly, would you cut off the food source of the professional protester class in this country if you were trying to cripple it? I mean, there may be protests outside that Hot Pocket plant right now with people angry over it burning. I'm not starting at a Hot Pocket plant if I'm looking to bring down the food supply chain of the United States. Are, are these food plant fires nefarious? Highly unlikely. Just what I just read there from, from uh, National Review. We went from Oregon to Arkansas to Virginia. So yes, it's been coincidental, I think. It, but it hasn't been concentrated in one area. It's not like it's been 
a whole set of Tyson plants burned down, right? It, it wasn't an obvious attack. It's, it's all coincidental. So are these nefarious highly unlikely? I mean, some have already had investigations completed, and no foul play was found, while others are still under investigation. And foul play in those, at least the early returns, looks unlikely as well. Now, what I think is happening is that there are shortages on the shelf. We all agree on that. We all see it. And the country is hypersensitive to it. And media types are looking to try and assign blame, so the story of these plant fires is getting more play than they would otherwise. It's a ratings game. It's a blame game. Will these fires cause a ripple effect on the supply in the marketplace? Yep, it's very likely. It would be foolish to think there wouldn't be some sort of effect on the market, but to assume it would be uh, a broad-based effect that all of a sudden we aren't going to have potato chips or meat at all would be false. And that's that's what I think that, and that's what disappoints me most, is that's the implication here from conservative media, and some of them anyway. National Review, I think, got it right. I'm sure there's others out there that have gotten it right like that. It's disappointing to see some in the conservative media playing this fear game. All for ratings, all for clicks. They need to watch it before they start to get tuned out. We'll tune them out just like we tune out CNN and MSNBC and any other legacy media outlet that uh, we've proven lies time and time again. We'll We'll tune, I have no problem tuning out conservative media altogether too. There's plenty of other sites I can go and look. There's plenty of other ways to get information. I don't need, call it the conservative legacy media. I'm thinking of Fox, right? There's plenty of other outlets and, and websites to get information from. Now, Yes, like I said, we are going to continue to see shortages. We are. The plants only have so much capacity. And yes, the fires at these plants are likely to have an impact to the supply. But it's not like every plant in a sector burned down. Not every Lay's potato chip plant burned down. Not every Tyson chicken plant burned down. And the chicken, that's maybe a bad example. There's other issues there with the bird flu, but... I think you get my point. It's been one supplier and one plant, and they haven't even all burned down. There's some that have burned to to a point where they're no longer operational. They might be abandoned. But it's been isolated incidents. And when you have isolated incidents, you're not going to bring down the entire food supply chain. Are there going to be shortages? Yes. Are these fires going to have an impact? Yes, because you're taking capacity out of the marketplace. But, but like this potato chip player um, uh, producer in Oregon, they're a niche player. I never heard of this place. The, the impact to supply may be limited to just that particular brand. You might go and say, well, I guess I'm not getting this brand. Are there others? And there'll be a hole in the marketplace and other manufacturers, if they can, will pick up the slack in the market. They'll see the opportunity, figure out a way to increase production, and they'll fill the hole in supply. And if they don't, if they can't, well, then consumers will go to an alternative or just do without. 
we should be prepared. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that there isn't concern here. We should be prepared. But we also need to be discerning about what the media feeds us. We need to think about things critically. The simplest explanation is almost always the right explanation. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.